In Isaiah chapter 34, it's nice to see we have a nice spread of ages here. We have the mature, the middle, and the young ones too. It's out to hear from one of the rougher sections of the scripture, Isaiah 1 through 35, can be uh, difficult to sit through an hour of session a week, but you guys have been doing it. Something's wrong with you in a, in a right way. Cosmic judgment, that's what we're considering, and the judgment that we're going to get in this 34th chapter <clears throat> is vast. It's characterized by uh, its intensity, it's comprehensive, it's global, and it includes even uh, outer space to some degree. Um, Isaiah has been dealing with the Assyrian threat, but he has also looked beyond as though he had been watching uh, films of, or, you know, videos of the future. They're so detailed and, and uh, just amazing. But he's not the only one. Zechariah, in the 14th chapter of his book, in the first nine verses, he, he lays it out, how God is going to deal with Israel's enemies and save Israel. And, of course, the church wasn't even a thought of the Jews in those days. And we come to the New Testament, and then the apostles begin to open it up to more than just the Jewish people, but to all of the believers. There is rage in the wrath of God, in his judgment. Uh, the, the Battle of Armageddon uh, is a case in point. The wrath uh, slaughters his enemies. It is documented in the book of Revelation, the last days, when that, uh, when the seals, when the Lord begins to open the seven seals, and, you know, he gets to the seven seal, the seven trumpets, and then there's seven bowls of judgment, and it's just this barrage of wrath of God on those who hate him and worship whatever else they can find. Revelation sixteen sixteen, and this is under the sixth of the seven seals, and they gathered them together to a place called in Hebrew Armageddon, which is the mount by Mount Megiddo, that valley there where the final battle will take place. And uh, some of the judgments of the sixth seal are here in this 34th chapter of Isaiah, uh, but there are other judgments that belong to some of the other seals kind of thrown in as a bonus. Uh, and it is... Um, Something that, as we're considering the judgment, the wrath, the fury of God, the rage of God on evil in humanity, uh, there are people outside these doors who are just going about their business thinking that life's okay the way it is without the Savior. And I say that to, not to lay guilt on us, but to ever keep before us that we want to learn the Bible so that we can use the Bible. And uh, this is God's system. Now... The name of the kingdoms that are associated with judgments are often symbolic. Sometimes they're literal. In the last days, some of the armies that will come against Israel and be destroyed that we read about in Ezekiel, such as Ethiopia, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, they're, those, they're, 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 they're going to be those countries. But then there are others there. They represent more. It goes beyond themselves. Uh, Gog and Magog are just the enemies against God's people. Um, all of them. And in this chapter, um, Edom epitomizes those who hate Israel. That Those ancient people. There are no more uh, Edomites today. There will not be any more Edomites. Uh, but 
they represent because they were known for their natural strength as a people, their arrogance, and their hatred for the Jews. They cheered on the Babylonian judgments against Jerusalem. And Obadiah's book is dedicated to them, judgments on Edom and their behavior. But Isaiah, of course, expands this and says, yeah, Edom is the poster boy. But it's all of them throughout history that have come against Israel that have garnered the fury of the Lord and and bring down the judgment on them. Now, what is said of Edom in Isaiah's day, Jeremiah comes along and says it through Babylon. Well, Babylon was just a tiny little nation at this time under the authority of of Assyria. But when Jeremiah comes along 100 years from the time of Isaiah, Babylon is running the world. And he almost parrots some of the things that Isaiah said about Edom, he applies to Babylon. That's because both prophets are saying to us, these are poster boys. It's not just them, but it is them also. They will be judged as a people for their behavior, but there will be other peoples coming along in history who will behave like them and suffer the same judgment. And Babylon uh, is is known for her riches and her sorcery. See, the Chaldeans lived in Babylon, but they were sorcerers. They were heavy into their occult religion. And so much so, they took over the nation. uh, Not not Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar was killing anybody he didn't like. When he had a dream and they couldn't answer it, it wasn't for Daniel Stepping in. Isn't that interesting? Daniel saving the lives of occultists. Uh, there's an evidence of love in the Old Testament, of Christian love in the Old Testament prophet. Well, the animals that we come across in this chapter, uh, they have indicative of meaning too. And, you know, this, this is what we get when we get to uh, Revelation. God says, I'm going to give you symbols because these symbols endure time. Whereas, you know, names of other places, they change. Names of people change, you know. But the symbols do not change. A lion is a lion through, in, as a symbol of something ferocious and something that can, can do much harm as opposed to an ox, which is known for its strength and not for its uh, uh, ferocity, though, though they can be fierce too. Any, anyway... The animals, the ceremonially clean animals of verse 6, for example, they speak of God's justification in his judgment. But then we get to verse 11 and we have unclean animals and they speak of God's rejection. And so the context will help us out there. So that's a little background to this 34th chapter. We get to chapter 35, it all changes. It's like the storm stopped and... The sun comes out, for those of you who like sunny days, and, and everything is radically different at the coming of Christ. But let's go look at verse 1. Come near, you nations, to hear, and heed you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. Verse 2 now. For the indignation of Yahweh is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies, He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Uh, This indicates, of course, the severity of the global 
judgment that Isaiah saw, and he is putting in writing because God told him to. Unprecedented judgment, as Jesus said, such as the world has not seen. Verse 2 speaks of rage. Verse 6 speaks of the sword. Uh, Also the sacrifice. Verse 8 speaks of the vengeance of God. Joel, uh, a prophet that may have preceded Isaiah, he writes, and he writes in those short three passages, man, he packs a lot into the future, and it's not good for the enemies of God's people. He says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom, whom, (coughs) pardon me, The coughing's not in there. I've added that. Whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my lands. You see, God is being very protective. And uh, the valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, Jehoshaphat means Yahweh judges. And so the name, you know, when he says the valley of Jehoshaphat, he's talking about the valley of judgments. We know to be Armageddon because the Bible expands on it. And uh, ultimately... Uh, Megiddo, Revelation 16.1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so, you know, you have people talk, Oh, God is love, and he's there. Well, he is, but he also has, he has a side that is no nonsense uh, to those who, who hate him. In Revelation, again, 16.16, 16, And they gathered them together to a place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Back to Joel one more time, chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, there's your woke people right there. Let them be awakened. Uh, For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow. For their wickedness is great, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of Yahweh is near in the valley of decision. It's poetic how he comes out. Multitudes, multitudes. It's like the, you know, the charge of the light brigade, you know, volley, thunder, uh, cannons to the left, cannons to the right. And it's here, but here it is totally spiritual and it's going to happen. Uh, the prophets did not live to see but they lived to preach it. And uh, this, it's just amazing to me how much we can look back at what they did not see fulfilled. We can see much of it. For, Isaiah 53. I mean, he, he writes this 53rd chapter, what we call the 53rd chapter. He, he did not know anything more about Messiah than, than that. Look how much information we have. We look back. Just phenomenal. The, the amount of faith that those men carried with them when they penned the scriptures so that we could say, I believe in the word of God. I believe it is inerrant. I believe in its teachings and its facts. So an interesting part about this verse to kind of highlight what I'm saying is looking at verse 2, he says, and I think the translators of the New King James have got this right, he has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Well, the prophet is speaking in past tense. It hasn't happened yet. But so real and sure of it was he that he wrote it in the past tense. And uh, we come along and we say, yeah, we see the whole world lining up for this. 
We look at the book of Revelation. If you lived in the days of carts and buggies and horses, you said there's no way you could fulfill the prophecies of of Revelation. And that's why many of the commentators in the older days allegorized all of Revelation. But we can now come with literal meaning. We can say these are... You know, these are helicopters, these are fighter jets, these are bombers, these are drones. We, we have so much more insight. Well, what are we going to do with it? Again, back to Revelation 19. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded <clears throat> from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. That's the Lord. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. The carnage that will be at, at Armageddon. There will be too many bodies to bury some of it may, uh, well, just, the, you know, the, the scavengers are going to feast. So, by the, we get to the tribulation age, the church age, is which we now live in, the age of grace, the age of the church, it's going to pass. It will be eclipsed by the great tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, such as the world has never known. Uh, the great tribulation is afoot in Isaiah's 34th chapter. We look at verse 3, he says, Also their slain shall be thrown out, their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Well, there's a little poetic uh, touch there. Uh, so much blood that it, 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 you know, human body can put out a lot of blood. And you have armies, armies, not a, an army, but armies there uh, being slaughtered. And so the grave diggers will be overwhelmed, according to verse 3. The sheer volume of the dead. Uh, they were under the satanic power of the beast and the false prophet. And uh, the, beat, the prophets, the Antichrist will have a sidekick, a false prophet, who will do, do lying signs and wonders. And they will be gathered there in an effort to annihilate the Jews, to just finally we're going to put an end to them. You know, the Nazis had a big meeting on how can we kill all the Jews without bullets. We can't just shoot them all. We have to come up with a way where we can industrialize the genocide. And the chambers, the gas chambers, were, were, were one of their approaches to this madness. These were highly educated, formerly educated men. Most of them... Uh, military lawyers, and uh, sitting down trying to figure out how can they uh, perform their genocide in a very economical and uh, expedient fashion. Anyway, Isaiah and John give vivid uh, descriptions of the Battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19 again, uh, verses 19 through 21, And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's us. We're his army. Then the beast was captured. I want to see that. I want to see, I'm assuming it's going to be one of those angels, because when you read Revelation, those angels, man, they are fierce. Uh, Even just when they cry out with a loud voice, when they grab that person by the neck, uh, and he he will be seized. Anyway, it says, the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. This is what is calling for the judgment of God. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And then he adds this in Revelation 19, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. See, that matches what Isaiah 
said that the scavengers would be too much for them, uh, the, the carnage that, that will be there. So uh, this is just amazing. Looking at the prophecies of the Bible that have been fulfilled, we have no reason to doubt any of this. Verse 4, All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine, as the fruit falling from a tree. So I, where he says the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heaven shall be rolled up like a scroll, he's talking about this cosmic impact, likely the view from earth. I don't think he is saying the sun will be taken away. Because then, you know, then now you've got a science issue which the Bible is not promoting. But he is saying the intensity of it all uh, is going to be uh, just as as though the, the the universe is in disarray from Earth's point of view, and there will be meteor showers, and there will be phenomenon and things like that taking place. Uh, no question is going. You know, it's a big world. There are a lot of people on it. All of this is not going to be happening in one city. It's going to be spread out, and it's going to be continuous. Uh, the, the Canadian wildfires weren't even a drop in a bucket to what is coming. Uh, just, and that's just a forest fire, not factoring in all the other things that are going to go crazy. Look what, look what God did with the flood and where you think the Grand Canyon came from. Somebody told me, and I have a good, good source, the Grand Canyon was, was scientific. It was started by a cheap guy who lost a penny in the sand. And we're glad he found that penny. The canyon would be bigger. You've got to see the rich guy digging. For, okay, let's, let's go. Verse 5. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down from Edom. And on the people of my curse for judgment. Remember, God said, if you curse the Jews, I'm going to get you. Well, this is it. Verse 6. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness. And the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of the kidneys of the rams. The Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Now again, Edom, the poster boy. Basra was the principal city. Uh, that factors into the end. We'll come to that later on in Isaiah also. But where he says, my, jo- my sword is bathed, he's, it is soaked. Uh, it, this has to happen. He uses the clean animals in connection to the Jewish ceremonial rites. To say, this judgment's justified. It's justified and it is necessary. But now we come back to Eden, Edom, not Eden, the garden, but Edom, which speaks of the descendants of Esau. Uh, Israel's ancient, inveterate enemy, the Edomites, uh, they're singled out here in verses 5 and 6. Now, of Isaac and Rebekah's twin sons, and they only had these two, these two boys, Esau was the firstborn. Edom means red, and Esau is known to have been red, red-haired, red-skinned kind of thing. Uh, but e- Esau is the firstborn, then Jacob. And according to the uh, consistent interpretation of of illustration and images in Scripture, expositional consistency, we have this from 1 Corinthians 15. The spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. Well, 
Edom was the natural. I mentioned to you they had natural strength. They were arrogant. They did not have the need for God that the Jew, the righteous Jews had. And uh, it is that way with us. We're born in a natural person. The natural man is lost in their sins. It's not until they become spiritual. They are born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. You have to get away from being a natural person, born in iniquity, to becoming a forgiven person, uh, born of the Holy Spirit, and uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, hopefully. Uh, The Edomites, again, these descendants, nicknamed Red, the descendants of Esau, nicknamed Edom. That became their identity. Now, Rebekah, when she was carrying these two children in her womb, she was aware that Something wasn't right. There was a war. I mean, you know, you talk about the baby kicking these two were just like in karate class. And so we, we read we read about it because these two natures couldn't they could not reconcile with each other, and symbolically that's what the lesson is from this. Genesis twenty five, verses twenty two, twenty three. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? She had to be miserable. And so she went to inquire of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. And so <clears throat> the Arab world, Esau part of that, uh, they are, you look at the Middle East today and Israel. He's flourishing. He's powerful. He doesn't have the oil fields. He has the water. Uh, but, you, you know, even this week, there's been some attacks. And now Israel, Israel's using drones to take out the boogeymen. you got to like that. Uh, and they just have this sheer hatred for Israel. They enjoy this hatred. You look at a little child. You see a cute little child. They see a Jewish child. They want to kill it. Uh, I remember working in Williamsburg, Brooklyn for a long time, and there's a large, at that time may still be, the largest Jewish population outside of Israel. Um, And uh, you'd see the buses, the school buses, going to the the shivas, the Jewish schools, and all these cute little kids, they had little David locks and little beanies on. They all seemed to have glasses on because they were future accountants. That's... (laughs) You can't say something like that about other races. The Jews go, hey, yeah, yeah, that would be $5. Uh, but uh, the, you know, it's not an anti-Semitic statement, but they're just so cute. And you look at them, and I was a Christian, and I said, why, why are people just not bothered by harming these children? Satan. Satan has filled them, and God is calling it out through Isaiah. This key unlocks interpreting this chapter, chapter understanding who Edom is, her beginnings, the symbols that, <clears throat> uh, the symbolism that accompanies uh, Edom, Esau, and Edom. So the recipients of judgment are not limited to Edom. It's inclusive of all those who hate the Jews to this very day. You would put Nazi Germany, you've got to make that distinction because not all Germans are Nazis, um, but Nazi Germany... Hated the Jews. Well, whoever supports Edom sides against God to this day. Going back to Genesis 12. You side against Israel. If you hate Israel, you come against Israel. 
you're coming against God. And the hatred climaxed between the Jew and, and the Edomites when, as Obadiah 11 tells us, and I'm going to read Psalm 137, when they cheered on the, the destruction of Jerusalem. Psalm 137, verse 7, Remember, O Yahweh, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundations. Destroy it. Get rid of it. We hate it. And uh, that is going on. It's funny. The Muslims have done what they could to destroy <clears throat> any of Jew the Israel, the Jewish history, that is anywhere near the Temple Mount. <clears throat> uh, thinking that it, it would, it's part of the, they have the spot where the Jews had their temple. But they've claimed it. As you know, Muhammad descended, uh, ascended what he left from there on a horse into the sky is their their story, their myth. But I don't believe that's where the Temple Mount was anyway. I I think that's where the Antonia Fortress was, and I'm not the, alone with that. But that's another subject we've got a lot to cover here. <clears throat> so if you want more on the judgment of Edom. Obadiah ten fourteen gives you the meat of it. Well, let's uh, move forward to verse 7. The wild oxen shall come down with them, the young bulls with the mighty bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness. And so, <clears throat> again, these are clean animals for, for the ceremonial sacrifices, blood sacrifices, and uh, it speaks of God's justification in his wrath. Uh, these are beasts for slaughter. But here's interesting. And pause the sound one minute. I have got to cough. <clears throat> well, at least that. Thank you. Coming back to this, Isaiah, typical of Isaiah, he's such a, a wordsmith and creative writer. Here we're in verse 7 it says, Yahweh has a sacrifice. In Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Well, in the Hebrew, it is, the word for sacrifice is zevak. And I'm sure there's a ch in there, but... <laughs> I was just speaking the other... Yesterday, I was speaking to someone from Persia. Uh, that's, and I, you know, from Iran, which is Persia. And, and they, I said, so where's that accent from? And she said, uh, Iran. I said, you're Persian. And boy, she just lit up. It's, you know, because that's who they are. And uh, they begin to engage, and, and we talked to I said, well, how do you say some of the words in the Farsi? And, and she used one of them, and she said, well, you all don't have the <laughs> And here I am today talking about it. It sounds like there's a phlegm coming next, right? Anyway, sorry. Uh, so going back to this, I'm going to just anglinize it. The Zivak and the Tevak. That's the sacrifice and the slaughter. So he says, the Lord has a, tev uh, a Zivak and a great TVAC. These aren't cars. Uh, these are uh, Isaiah being phonetically, using phonetically similar words, the wordplay to make his point. Revelation 14, speaking of Basra, which incidentally, Basra means the, the gate ga great gathering, which plays into the judgment in Revelation, verse 20 of Revelation 14. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And so there's the winepress uh, that, that is uh, associated 
with the judgment to come. Uh, you can tie that in with Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. Anyway, moving on, verse 8. For it is the day of Yahweh's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Well, Zion is, Israel is a prophetic battleground. If Satan can undo any of God's promises concerning the Jews, then he wins. He thinks that. Well, of course, he's insane. And, and it's not, you know, a petty shot. He, he truly is. How do you get to see God in all of his splendor, not in an exhaustive sense, but in heaven, and turn on God? You have to be insane. And he is the father of lies. He is the father of insanity. So uh, he is the father of all the ills that mankind suffers. And this is why the indignation and wrath of God is so fierce on that generation that bows down to everything that hates Israel, to everything that hates Christianity, to everything that hates anything to do with the Bible. They chose the losing team. So, in verse 8, there's that word, vengeance. The day of Yahweh's vengeance. The year of recompense. Payback. And because of Zion. So, the times of the Gentiles began when Nebuchadnezzar... uh, just the first siege of Jerusalem, when he just asserted his power over the Jews in Jerusalem, began the times of the Gentiles. We are in the times of the Gentiles now. That ends when the Great Tribulation period starts. Uh, it's, it's kind of still some of the facts they share, but it's another phase in God's prophetic calendar, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. And, of course, when the Lord returns at the second coming, he puts an end to human rule, and he himself will rule. Israel is invincible since God upholds her cause, which is to be, not only to bring us Messiah, but Israel is God's vessel of fulfilled prophecy. That's what makes it the battleground. If God had said that about Rhode Island, then a Rhode Island would have been the target. Satan would target whatever God upheld. And God is upholding Israel. He's made pledges to Israel. He's given judgments and mercy to Israel. And this is why this teeny little country that invades no one is the brunt of humanity's hatred because of the Satan, satanic influence. And whenever you find someone targeted you in hatred, you are looking at Satan's work, whether they know it or not. And if they claim to be a Christian, you call them out right away. Um, I have had several occasions where you said you're a Christian, you're messing with the Jews, you're not a Christian. You're something else. You're an imposter, but you're not a Christian. And uh, I haven't always had to say it with that force. And, the, and most, most, if not all of the times, they have submitted. You know, what could you say? If you want to be a Christian, you've got to follow what the Scripture says. And the Scripture's not foggy on that. Anyway, Satan and his world, the Gibors. The, the power makers, the decision makers that run the world. They ran it before the flood. They got wiped out. Well, we have them now. We have the Gibors are back. And they're trying to get rid of the middle class. I just watched a political pundit talk about how Europe is losing its middle class. Yeah, because the powers that be, you know, they got to get rid of them. They have their competitor to, to greed. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, back to this. No one will ever defeat Israel again. We are in the last of the last days. The technology demands it. The world stage, everything is in line. 
and any who think God is merely a God of sentimental love without truth and without justice is under the persuasion of Satan. Um, If you believe that God is not going to have this wrath poured out, then you have fashioned for yourself a self-baked image of God, which is an an idol. Verse 9. Now, you younger ones, when you get out to the world, you're going to meet people who don't share these views. You've been sheltered, maybe, to some degree in a home that loves the Lord. You attend a church where the word is preached. Well, when you get out in the world, you're going to find people that are beyond antagonistic. They're going to resent you. They're going to hate you. You are going to be a walking sermon to them. And they're going to try to find a way to stop you from believing what you believe. And don't you give in to them. You be ready for them. You, you love them and you hit them with truth. They're going to do what they're going to do and you're going to do what you're going to do. And that's what creates the battleground. Uh, don't, don't you cave. We watch so many, not only Christians, we watch their parents cave in right along with them. And um, there really is, I don't, I don't think there's a, an excuse for that. I, I mean, there's just some things that don't, don't get a pass, and that, that's one of them. And that's what the Lord, you know, he's pretty serious about apostasy. An, ap- an apostate is someone who had the faith and fell from it by choice. Nothing made them do it. It wasn't some sneaky little virus that got in there and altered their thinking. It was their choice through and through. Uh, so if you love the Lord, you don't have to worry about that stuff. If he's real to you and you love him, uh, you are invincible in your faith. No one will snatch you out of his hands. And you won't leap if you love the Lord. Anyway, coming back to this, um, these verse 9, uh, its streams shall be turned into pitch and its dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. Verse 10. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation. It shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. <clears throat> well. God is going to take the deserts of the world. And there are some big ones. Not only the Gobi Desert in, in China. Or the uh, Siberian Desert. You know. Uh, m- my, Russia has the largest landmass of all the nations, and it's all frozen. Uh, the Antarctica, uh, the you know, the North Pole. These places are going to turn into lush environments, but there are going to be some places that are going to remain a wilderness, and the, they will be monuments through the millennial age, in, uh, inhabitable for, for humans. And this judgment is uh, certainly ignited by God, as it was with Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is on purpose. God is saying, remember what I did to Sodom. Peter comes along in his letter, and he says, remember, God turned those people to ashes. You think he's playing around? And it's either real to you or not. Luke chapter 17. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. They were having just a good old time hating God. And look what happened. It was a sad ending for them. Their wickedness was so bad, God said, I can't let this spread. It, not, not, not yet, but it's happening now. Sodom has been revised. You wish they would get back in the closet. They're not going to. Uh, but, uh, and we're not either, incidentally. And, uh, and anyway, this, um, this corresponds, this section about the pitch and the fire and the brimstone, it corresponds to the apocalyptic Babylon and the judgments that are coming. 
the fires of eternal hell, the lake of fire. Also, we're told by Jesus himself, will never be quenched. This language is intentional. So I have a, you know, a reference here to John 14, uh, not 14, Revelation 14 and Obadiah 18. But don't have time to read it all. But I can take part of Revelation 14. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his, his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And, and it just goes on. So this, these judgments are real. They match what Isaiah is saying. You see the pitch? It's, that's, you know, oil-based. Um, is, is the prophet talking about Saudi Arabia? Those areas of the world that produce um, a lot of oil? Um, I think there's some of that included. Uh, anyway, coming back, and not all of them necessarily, but <clears throat> in Edom's neck of the woods, verse 11, the pelican, the porcupine shall possess it, also the owl and the raven who dwell in it, and he shall stretch out over it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. Remember, God is not the author of confusion for his people. He is the author of confusion for the enemy. And the Bible is very clear about that. And here's one example. These are ceremonially unclean animals and they speak of God's rejection. You know, Cain bought f fruit when he was supposed to bring a blood offering. God rejected it. Uh, these, in this picture here, Isaiah presents people uh, that are, ha that have these ceremonially unclean animals which God would reject. It is their unbelief. Verse 12, they shall call its nobles into the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all of <clears throat> its princes shall be nothing. Verse 13, the thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortress, <clears throat> fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard of ostriches. Again, this, now so we, we've talked about apocalyptic Babylon. This is apocalyptic Edom representing the nations that have this hatred for the Jews. In a sense, compared to Edom, Babylon didn't hate the Jews. They just conquered everybody. But it was, it was, it was emotional. There was a, a, a rage against the Jewish existence in the heart of the Edomites. Um, <clears throat> anyway, this, just review this a little more. This, what he is saying here, verses 12 and 13, matches... Jeremiah 50, verse 39. The difference is, Jeremiah uses Babylon and says almost is identical to what Isaiah is saying. And there's a reason for that, of course. Edom, Israel, the haters of Israel, the Chaldeans, they embody the powerful false religions of the world. Now, the Chaldeans were in Babylon. Uh, the Babylon represents the world's collective powers against God. That would include the haters of, of God. It would include the occultic religions, the false religions, <clears throat> the apostate religions, the financial world, the political world, the military world, 
the global culture. That is apocalyptic Babylon. And in that is apocalyptic Edom also. Uh, I hope that, you, you know, I hope if you read enough Isaiah and Jeremiah and Revelation and Zechariah, Ezekiel, you begin to see the pattern. It, it forms right in front of you. You say, okay, I got this. But it, it can take a while to, to get to that place. So uh, verse 14 is the next verse. The wild beast of the desert shall also meet with jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat to its companion, also the night creature, <clears throat> shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. <clears throat> verse 15, the arrow snake shall make her nest and lay eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. There also shall, there also shall the hawks be gathered, every one with her mate. Well, the reason why, because snakes have no arms, they can't wear vests. It's a random thought. It's nothing to do with what we're talking about. The precise identification of these animals is sometimes impossible. Some of them we get, okay, that is a raven in the Hebrew, but some of the others, the translators struggle. I, I try to look at the root words and figure out, okay, he must be talking about this. And it's really incidental. It's not important. Isaiah knew what he was talking about. He's actually kind of showing off how much knowledge he has to has me, and not in a bad way. Anyway, uh, again, all this reads, these details and this assurance reads like he, he watched, a, watched it on a screen, like, you know, a, a, a video. <clears throat> and he just not, has this information. Verse 16, search from the book of Yahweh and read. Not one of these shall fail. Not one shall lack her mate from my mouth, for my mouth has commanded it, and his spirit has gathered them. So he evokes the, the scripture. He is saying, <clears throat> the scripture can't fail. What I'm giving you comes from God and is now scripture. This is the third time in Isaiah. Isaiah 8 Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among nine disciples. Well, that was what was Isaiah was given to preach. God said, I want you to make a book out of that. And that's for your, your students. And then in chapter 30, he says, now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for a time to come forever and ever. And we've been reading these things. So here's another example of the spoken prophetic word becoming written scripture. New Testament answers that too. Paul, Paul, Peter treats Paul's writings as scripture. He says, as they twist the rest of the scripture, which means that Paul's writing was considered scripture. Jesus said this, Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So <clears throat> there's the assurance of scripture. Verse 17 he has cast the lot for them. His hand has divided it among them with a measuring line. They shall possess it forever from generation to generation. They shall dwell in it. So what he is saying, he's summing up everything he's been saying. <clears throat> and he is saying, God has put boundaries on the judgment that befalls Edom and nothing's going to reverse it. This is everything he said about animals inhabiting their territories will happen. Well, verse 30, chapter 35. 
The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom, verse 2, abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of Yahweh, the, exceeding, uh, the excellency of our God. Now it's a radical shift. <clears throat> we now come to the second coming of Christ, which happens right, which ends the tribulation period and brings all <clears throat> the slaughter that we've been reading about. I'm kind of like developing a new preaching style. It's called the cough suppressant preaching style. I don't know if you can pick it up. I hope you can't, but I'm usually wrong on those kinds of things. Anyway, whether it's the sand of the desert or the ice deserts, Christ comes and there will be climate change. It will be radical and it will be wonderful. So, isn't it interesting that no matter what language you speak, all the coughs are the same? You would think that, you know, someone who speaks, you know, Norwegian or, or, or Nordic language would have a different cough. But they're all the same. Hmm. Anyhow, coming back to this. Uh, so, you can't get to chapter 35, the, the meanings, until you've passed chapter 34. Chronologically, the prophet's end-time theology is perfect. And it, it matches everything we get in the New Testament which is a critical point. Verse 3, <clears throat> strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Paul writes that in Hebrews 12. He adds, though, strengthen the hands which hang down. That's an uh, interpretive rendering of Isaiah 35, verse, five, verse 3. Now we come to verse 4 of Isaiah 35. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. You ever try to strengthen somebody who's in fear? And you're saying, be strong. Now, sometimes we can mess that up. It's not the time to say be strong. They already know that. They're doing the best they can do. We don't, they don't need to hear us. You just got to be strong, tiger. But then there are other times where we can say, listen, you got you to do better. You got to be stronger than this. God is with you. God loves you. And you know it. And you just haven't, you know, you're in a retreat moment. We need you to get into a regroup moment. The difference between a retreat and a regroup, you're both going the opposite way of the attacking enemy. But one is, in te- is intention is to stand and fight and counterattack at some point. Whereas the one that's just in full retreat uh, is just looking to go as far away as they can. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 1. Paul writing to the Thessalonians, they're being persecuted now as Paul and Silas were when they arrived there. And he says about those persecuting them, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So because you believed our preaching of Jesus Christ, you've suffered this persecution, 
God's going to deal with them because you belong to that group of people that love the appearing of the Lord, that admire him. And, of course, it's superlative language. It's not like, well, I admire people, but this is on another level. And so there we find the New Testament in rhythm with the Old Testament prophecies. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Well, when Messiah comes, the second coming, those who are sick, lame, and they're going to be healed, the ones that survive. However, what is also pronounced is these are the credentials of the Messiah. This is why none of the Jews get a pass for rejecting him. Because this is what the scripture said of him. Now, in fairness, even the mighty, mighty castle of a man, John the Baptist, fumbled a little bit here. He recovered. He, well, Jesus said this, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. He, Jesus said, who else has done what I've done? This is consistent with what Moses taught about there's one coming. You listen to him. It is consistent with what Isaiah said. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. There's a near and far fulfillment of that verse. The near one was the coming of Christ. The far one will be the second coming of Christ. Acts chapter 1, to whom he also pres- to whom he also presented himself. No one presented Christ alive because he is God, the Son. No one could present him alive. Only the Godhead could be involved in his resurrection. He says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Again, consistent with the miraculous nature of Messiah as credentials that he is God the Son. So the miracles of Jesus demonstrated that the end-time kingdom of God had arrived. When he comes, it's going to have more miracles than just the destruction of evil. It's going to be the promotion of good. And uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12 If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come among you. If I'm doing what I'm preaching, living the way I'm living, and uh, performing what I am performing, and you can't connect those three, something's wrong with you. Something's very seriously wrong with you. So when John the Baptist doubted, he said, are you the one? Or do we look for another? Because John is wondering, he's thinking Messiah is going to come and he's going to deliver them. All the Jews thought that. Deliver them from the rule of evil. Well, Christ is, but it's, he first did it spiritually. In his second coming, he will do it physically also. So Jesus, instead of saying to John the Baptist, yes, I am the Messiah, he does it this way. Jesus answered and said to them, go tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. He's not finished. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Who else can do this, John? You see the the link. So Antichrist is going to do false miracles. He's going to use dark arts. But he's not going to be moral. He's going to be immoral. Christ is saying, 
I am moral because I preach the good news of the kingdom. And John would know right away, that's right. All the miracles he's done, the time I baptized, John will connect it all. And uh, this, this one verse shuts down all the Jews that are, were, and will be against the Christ. And not all the Jews will survive the great tribu- the time of Jacob's trouble. Almost all of them will be wiped out. But that remnant will be totally in. Um, uh, they, they will weep. They will grieve over their unbelief. Uh, they will turn. All Israel will be saved at that point. Uh, verse 6. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So uh, every believer that enters heaven enters whole. That we, a sick Christian that dies in the illness does not enter into heaven sick anymore or lame. Or they, I won't wear corrective lenses. I still will have sunglasses because I, I just make them look cool. But uh, this should have been an a, a outrageous applause at that and there was nothing. Anyway, uh, every lame body in the millennial age when Christ comes will be restored at the second coming. And it's just going to be so amazing. It's, it's, it will be so down to business. We'll be so done with the flesh and the world's culture and Satan. Uh, we, just will be, we would have seen heaven, the streets of gold. <clears throat> we will live in New Jerusalem, which is like heaven mobile. And it's just going to be incredible. So, verse 7 now, it says, The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, and the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So, a reversal where the wild animals were, that now will be this lush territory for people. Earlier, he mentioned Carmel and Sharon. Those, you go to Israel today, those regions very lush, very green. As you work your way down to Jerusalem, to Judah's territory, it turns very uh, you know, gray, desert-like a lot. Uh, so, and by comparison, there's some green areas there too. Uh, but the northern part of Israel is, is quite beautiful. And so is Lebanon. And, of course, you can stand in Israel and look right into Lebanon. You can, you can walk right in, as long as you don't hit one of those landmines. Because there's big signs up, landmines and... Anyway, uh, of course, if you don't know, landmines are usually out of sight until they blow you out of sight. Well, verse 8, a highway shall be there, a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, should not go astray. <clears throat> That's hyperbole. He's saying, he's saying our future in Christ is foolproof. You don't have to worry. I'm, I'm to this, I'm to that. Christ will take care of that. <clears throat> the theme of the highway is one of Isaiah's favorites. He uses it. Oh, I have the references here, but I'm not going to give them too much time. One, two, three, four. This is the fifth time. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the king's highway of holiness. 
He himself is the highway. Um, so just as he's the ladder for Jacob. The roadways that lead to Rome, lead to Athens, will pass. And uh, we'll say goodbye to all of those things and good riddance. Verse 9, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Gone will be these words. Beware of your adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We won't have that fear. That'd be gone. And neither will the survivors of the great tribulation period. Uh, it will be a perfect environment for them. They will still have iniquity, but uh, they will not have the triggers that belong to our fallen nature that just sets it out of control. Uh, I don't think there'll be no more road rage, uh, for example. Anyway, verse 10, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Can you imagine? No depression, no down feelings. No, you won't hear this in heaven. Why so glum, chum? Uh, You're just not going to be. When David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a profound statement. At that stage of of Scripture, uh, David just summed up the uh, teachings of Christ concerning heaven, especially those found in the Revelation. So... The future of any friend of Jesus Christ is bright if he is the Lord and Savior. And now this all concludes the judgments on Judah, Israel, the nations that we've been studying from Isaiah 1 to 35. Next up is uh, we go back in time a little bit in Isaiah's time, though, when Rabshakeh shows up with his armies. They get dealt with. Isaiah gets sick. Uh, his sickness is to death. He calls out to the Lord. So we'll have that. And then uh, we'll probably take two weeks to do that at least. And then we come to the, the second part of Isaiah, well, the third part, if you want to divide it that way, where it is uh, just, he starts out, comfort, yes, comfort my people. It's so rich with New Testament application. Uh, comfort, yes, comfort my people. Remember my faithful martyr Antipas. I just blended the two. Yeah, you're going to get comforted, but you're also going to have some moderate experiences, so let's be sober-minded. Let's pray. Our Father, the part that stands out to me this evening is your return, your son's return to earth in all his glory and sickness and handicaps, the wars, the temptations, the evil will be gone. We are looking forward to that. We pray you get us all home safely this evening. In Jesus' name we ask you.